excited to be here. I, uh, most of you know, I now live in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I, uh, I moved from Dallas, Texas. Uh, we got there in about May. Who would know that uh, Michael would get a diagnosis and uh, he would need his friend there? God is sovereign even when he's silent. You see, he looks down the way and he knows what you need, when you need it. And so uh, I'll uh, go back to Gatlinburg from here. Penny will probably actually, I'll be here again in November. Penny will actually come with me, I think, next time. Because we got a bunch of grandkids. You never know. You understand? we got a bunch of grandkids. Our, I think our kids' theme song was Breeding in the Sheaves. You know, it just kept coming, just kept coming. Uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, you know, the whole, the world, whole world's changed now, though. My, my wife's not, not a grandma. You know, she's not grandma. They pick cute names now. She's, she's Mimi. Now, what, what is a Mimi? I mean, what is a Mimi? What am I supposed to be, PP? You know, uh, what, what's, what, I, don't, I don't get it. But uh, I'm not, I don't care if she is Mimi. I'm not PP, all right? I'm going to be, I'm a, I'm a papa. I'm a papa. Uh, but, uh, most of you have heard me speak before. You know I'm a psychologist by training, so I've seen some interesting people. I mean, I, I, uh, one guy I saw as a combination of paranoia and guilt. You know, he thought people were out to get him, but he thought he deserved it. You know, that kind of guy. You know? uh, one guy was so paranoid, he thought the people in front of him were following him. That's paranoia, you understand. Uh, but probably my favorite patient was my 9 o'clock patient, uh, nicely dressed man, sat down, and I say what psychologists say. I said, how can I help you? He says, you can't help me, I'm crazy. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, I've been a psychiatrist. East Coast, West, they all say I'm crazy. All say I can't be helped. I said, what are you doing right now? You know, uh, if you want to be a psychologist and make money at it, always ask people what they're doing right now and don't advise that, okay? Because it's not working or they wouldn't be seeing you, you understand? You know, so you find out what are you doing right now and you tell them to do something else, okay? That's if you want to make it in psychology business, okay? So I said, what is he telling you to do right now? He said, not do anything. I'm crazy. I can't be helped. I said, well, well, tell me your story. And he started telling me his story, and he had a pretty good story as stories go. But I've heard every story that's ever existed. You know, all, all my life, that's all I've done, listening to other people's stories. You know? Matter of fact, one of my greatest fear is just before I die, somebody else's life's going to flash before me instead of my own. You know, because I spent all my time listening to their stories. And uh, some of you want to tell me your story after this is over. I'll listen, but I've heard it, okay? I've heard every story that ever exists. Uh, but I, so I was listening to his story. I was maintaining eye contact. I was leaning forward. I was saying, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I mean, I, I, you know, I can understand how you feel that way. Uh-huh. I mean, I was being a pretty good psychologist, you know. Uh, and then after about 20 minutes of that, he gets up, starts to walk out. He said, I'm leaving. He says, you're totally incompetent. You don't know what you're doing. I'm not wasting any more of my time. I'm and he starts to go. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, you call me incompetent, leaving? At least you could tell me why. He said, sir, it had been obvious to anybody, much less a so-called trained observer of human behavior. It'd be obvious to anybody. I got on two watches. They're identical watches. I bought them the same time, the same place. They've never been over a second apart. I raised that arm so you could see that watch. I raised that arm so you could see that watch. 
You never noticed. You never pointed it out. You never brought it up. You don't know what you're doing. I'm, and it, whoa, whoa. I said, whoa, whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, call me incompetent. Could you do one thing for me? He said, what? I said, I take my notepad. I hand him my notepad. I always take notes when people talk. I said, take this notepad. I want you to read what's on top of that notepad in big bold letters. I hand him my notepad and he looks and he starts to smile. I said, no, read it out loud. He read these words. This man has on two watches. <laughs> said, you noticed, didn't you? Said, not only did I notice, I know why you wear two watches. He, he got excited. His eyes started to get big. He started to talk. Whoa, 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 why do I wear two watches? I said, because you're crazy. You told me that when you first came in here. <laughs> He sat down. We had a nice little chat. Now, I, of course, told him that to get his attention, and I told you that to get your attention. But if you do, if you do have on two watches, I'd slip one of them off. The person beside you would be a lot more comfortable as we talk. I'd like to talk to you today and tonight. You know, I never finish a message, so I actually maybe finish this one because I'm going to come back tonight. Uh, and... Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about keeping it together when life falls apart. Now, all of us have bad days. I mean, I, how you know it's going to be a bad day? The bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. You know, you know it's going to be a bad day. You get up, put your pants on backwards, they fit better. You know it's going to be a bad day, you know. You get up and your wife says, good morning, Harold, and your name is Earl. You know, you know it's going to be a bad day. You, know? you get up and your waterbed leaks and you realize, I don't have a waterbed. It's going to be a bad day, okay? So, so we all have bad days. But what happens when life turns bad? When it seems like everything is going bad. And it seems like there's just no good news coming at all probably the oldest book in the Bible, probably the oldest question in the Bible. Why do bad things happen to good people? They've been talking about it since the time of a man named Job, probably over 4,000 years ago, and we're still talking about it even today. This man Job, he, uh, he realized, like you will eventually realize, that it's a fallen world. Bad things happen. And in this world, it's always going to be sad because this is a house that we temporarily live in, and one day there's going to be a home that we'll permanently be in. But until that day, it will be a time of difficulty, a time of trouble, a time of sadness. So we look at the life of a man named Job as he realized that Trouble is not a gate crasher. It has a reserved seat at every house. Heartache has a key to every door. Nobody lives happily ever after down here. That's why one day God's got to create a new heaven and a new earth. Well, let's look at this man named Job. If you have your Bible turned there, I'm going to take a what I call a flyby this morning, and then tonight we'll be able to get into much more uh, detail. Job chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? 
And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. We forget that Satan is the prince of this world, and he goes around to and fro. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge about him and his house? Now, how would Satan know? Uh, why can't he get to Job? God's got a hedge about him. See, this book is about what we call limited liberty. God, Satan cannot do to you anything he wants to do. He can only do what God allows him to do. And what God will allow him to do, although it may cause great pain and great difficulty down here, eventually God's purpose will overcome and we will win in the end. But he can't do anything he wants to. The Bible calls Satan a roaring lion. I uh, I one day, probably four feet away, I was face to face with a roaring lion. I mean, not a little lion. I mean, a big lion. He was ferocious looking. He was mad about something too. And I was only four, maybe five feet away. But me, I was not afraid. I was cool. I was like, man, I can handle this little smack talking that lion. Why? Because I was at the zoo. That's why. There's a big barrier between me and that lion, you see. God says Satan has limited liberty. There's a barrier between you and Satan. It's called Jesus Christ. He cannot do to you anything he wants to do. Now, he, he, he can do a lot, you know. And one day he's going to kill you. <laughs> one day this world's going to kill you, I promise you. Nobody gets out alive. Death runs in my family. Think it runs in yours, Right. Come in this world, no teeth, no hair, no bladder control. That's how you're going out. You're going to die, okay? Uh, but even that's limited liberty. He, he, he can kill your body, but he can't kill you, you see? Because of Jesus, he had an answer for that, you see? Jesus has an answer for all of Satan's plans and schemes. And it's going to take a while to get the answers, but that's why he calls it limited liberty. It's, what's, it's, it's what we see in this book, Hell's Power when God gives permission, see, and he gives permission. He says, you put a hedge about him and all he has, and you bless the work of his hands, his possessions have increased, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him, here's the limited liberty, do not, you can't touch Job. So Satan went forth in the presence of the Lord. Now notice, it's, a, it's, it's throughout the Bible. God is always bragging on you. Matter of fact, when God sees you, he doesn't see you. He knows how sorry and no good you are. You're made of dirt. But he sees your righteousness in Christ. And so God's always bragging on you because he sees Jesus when he sees you. Satan's always slandering you. Why? Because Satan doesn't see Jesus. Sla Satan just sees you. You know, all the sorry stuff you do. And you know you do sorry stuff, and that's, that's why you like me here, because I, I admit I'm sorry as no good as you are. You know, we all do sorry stuff. We all need Jesus. I look spiritual up here, but I got many problems as you've got. You know, they, they put some cinnamon bun. I don't know who did that, Jim, in my 
room over at the Strauss house, you know, like, like a 2,000 calories buns right there when I get there yesterday. And, you know, you think I could, man of God, I had my Bible getting ready to preach. You think I could handle a cinnamon bun? I ate the whole thing, the whole thing, you know. Uh, didn't want to, but I did, you know. Uh, see, I'm as sorry and no good as you are, I promise you. But anyway, enough about my therapy. You're the one that needs it more than me probably. Okay, let's continue. So he, he, he said you can, you, can, you can hurt him, but you can't touch him, but you can hurt everything around him, hurt everything around him. All of a sudden, Job lost everything. Ten kids dead. Wealth gone. Buildings demolished. Everything gone. You think, well, I, this storm was really bad. I lost everything. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. He lost everything. What would your response be? What, what, how would you respond? You wake up, everything's gone. Job responds. Verse 21. And here's what he said. Naked came out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. What a response. I don't know if I could respond that way. I don't know if you could respond that way. What Job understood and what we struggle to understand in this Adam suit that we have is that we come in this world without anything. You know. Matter of fact, it's a shock. It didn't, I've told you before, you know, before you get here is actually the easy part. I mean, you just eat and float and float and eat, eat and float. I mean, it's a good life, really. I mean, and if what, when people get in psychological trouble, that's why you assume that fetal position. Why? Because there's nothing like eating and floating, I promise you. You know, <laughs> nothing like it. Uh, and then boom, you know, you're born. They slap you and, you know, you owe $50,000 on the national debt. You don't even have a job, you know. Uh, you don't know how to talk. You're throwing up at both ends. I mean, it's just tough, you know. You get here. You know. And you have nothing. And those people are laughing at you, making goo-goo faces at you. They're laughing, and you don't even know who they are, you know. But you, you learn to walk. You learn to talk. You get a job. You have kids. You have grandkids. And you get sick. Then you may go to the same hospital you're born in. And one day they'll put no visitors. And you go out the same way you came in without anything all alone how was he able to say that how was he able to say blessed be the name of the Lord here's why because Job would also say this I know my redeemer lives I know my redeemer lives he's in the Old Testament he's 4,000 he didn't even understand it all he, he doesn't get it but he gets enough he says, I know one day, even though the earth will, this body will be consumed by worms, still somehow the real me is going to see God. And that's all that matters. The real me 
cannot be taken by Satan down. So he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, that's the paradox of life. You come in, you're crying, all those grandparents, everybody laughing, making goo-goo faces. But when you go out with Jesus, they're going to be crying while you're going to be laughing. Because <laughs> then you're going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I know my Redeemer lives. You see, Satan tells God, you're his good luck charm. You're a celestial bellhop. No wonder he loves you. His kids are doing great. You know, he's making good money. He drives a Mercedes chariot. He's got a place at the beach. You know, uh, but let me mess with all that. He will curse you to your face. God allows him to do it. But Job passed that first test. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. But Satan's persistent. Remember, he is the prince of this world. He said, yeah, but God let me get a hold of him. Let him feel pain. Let him get a disease. Let him hurt. I'll, I'll see what will happen then. And again, limited liberty. God says you can touch him. You can hurt him. But you can't kill him. You can't kill him. And all of a sudden, Job, overnight, was in unbelievable pain. He couldn't move. He hurt so much. Now, I don't know about all the men in here, but I'm a big baby when I get sick, all right? You know, uh, uh, I want Penny to take care of me, you know, give me Snickers and Bluebell and ice cream and little boy's sick, you know. Uh, uh, remember the first time I got sick, she said, take a shower and go to work. I think you'll be okay. You know, I thought, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for that, you know. So I don't know what kind of wife Mrs. Job was, but he's lost everything. He's down to just his wife, the only one left to encourage him. And so he looks for her. Give me some encouragement. Mrs. Job, I don't know what else to call her. I don't know what her first name is. Mrs. Job, he says. Verse 9, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. That's something to be thankful for, guys. You're not married to Mrs. Job. <laughs> Get out on your knees and thank God you didn't marry that woman. <laughs> like the wife says, is anybody more outspoken than your wife? He said, I know I've never met him, but uh, uh, she's a pretty outspoken lady. She said what Satan said, same thing, curse God and die. What happened there? What happened there? I'll tell you what happened there. What happens to a lot of marriages. You get married and you have kids and you start investing in the kids and you quit investing in the marriage. See? A lot of people get divorced now after the kids leave home. I tell people, hey, that's when life really begins. When the kids leave home, the dog dies. I mean, that's it. You can run around the house naked if you want to now. <laughs> but you got to be ready. You got to invest in that. You don't get dividends in anything you don't invest in. So you invest in that. You, 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 you invest as much in your marriage as you do your kids. Amen. You see? Matter of fact, that's the best thing you can do for your kids is for them to see a healthy marriage. 
Storms will come to your marriage, to your family, I promise you. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 25, it talks about when the storms come against the house built on the sand, against the house built on the rock. Same storms will come. If you read that, it sounds like a hurricane. It's, it's, the rains descend, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat against the house. That's, that's, you know, that sounds like a hurricane, doesn't it? When you prepare for a hurricane, before it gets there, storms are going to come to your house, and you better prepare before they come, see, or you'll lose your house, you'll lose your family, you'll lose your marriage. You prepare before they get there. Well, she said, uh, curse God and die. Well, then his friends show up. And his friends, well, they stayed too long and said too much. Somebody said, I think it was Mark Twain, God made people at the end of the week when he was really tired and looking forward to his day off. (laughs) Uh, It's amazing to me what church people say to try to encourage other church people, and it actually is spiritual cruelty. You know, uh, I, I grew up in church. Remember, I grew up in a parsonage. That's why I became a psychologist because I grew up at the church. And so, I uh, I can remember the first time I sang a song in church. You know, a lady church lady sitting down there. I got off stage. She said it wasn't as bad as it sounded. You know, <laughs> I wanted to say you're not as ugly as you look either, lady. Uh, They came to do ministry to Job, and they left him in misery, you see. They came to connect with his feelings, and yet they tried to convict him with theology. They preached to him. They assumed that they knew what God was doing, and they didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue. Tonight, we're going to go into a lot more detail with how do you help people in difficulty? How do you empathize with people? How do you become human? Isn't it interesting that Job's friends, who were humans, tried to assume that they were God? And that God, being God, became human. So he could feel our feelings. The Bible says he feels our infirmities. Because he need, that's what people need. You need somebody to walk in your shoes. You need somebody to feel what you're feeling. Not to convict you with theology, but to be there with you when the world is beating you to death. It's going to happen to everybody eventually. And you have to have people with you to get through those kinds of things. There, there's some things in life you won't be able to get through, I promise you. I used to uh, do a lot of ski leadership conferences when we lived in Dallas. Uh, we'd fly out to Denver and go to Vail, one of those places, and I'd speak to these business people about leadership and things. and. Penny, my wife, really loved doing those, you know, because she just took up snow skiing right off the bat. I mean, she just took that up. I did not take it up right off the bat. It, it was a contact sport for me from the beginning, you know. And I said, you know, where are the airbags? You know, we need airbags for this thing. Uh, uh, I, uh, 
And by the way, if you've never been snow skiing out in Colorado, you know, uh, uh, take lessons. You know, you'll have the life expectancy of a fruit fly if you don't. Uh, any sport that has an ambulance at the bottom of the hill, you know, you got to take lessons, you know. Uh, I, uh, I just never, well, well, let me just help you here. Let's just be practical. I won't charge the church anymore for this, Jim. Just practical stuff. Uh, here's some exercises to do if you want to go snow skiing. Just run up some steps, you know. Let's run up some steps as far as you can. And then come down without your legs. Just boom, 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 boom. And then run up there again and boom, 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 boom. And run up there again and boom, 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 boom. Do that about four or five times. That'll, that'll almost get you ready for snow skiing, but not, not exactly. So find a wall like that wall and just run into the wall. Just run into the wall. And it'll knock you down. It'll knock you down. You know, and then run into it again and knock you down. You know, knock you down. And then have somebody come put ice down your back. You're trying to get up. Just put ice down your back. <laughs> and then give them lots of money. Oh, here's lots of money. Here's lots of money. Lots of money. That's kind of what you're going to find out when you go snow skiing. So, so we were on this trip, snow skiing, and I, I didn't, first day, I didn't do well. I didn't do well. So the second day, I'm just not doing it. I'm just quitting. You know, I'm just going to take the day off, sit in the hot tub, contemplate, you know. We always spiritualize our psychological problems, so just spend some time with the Lord, you know. So, uh, so my wife comes by, you know, she says, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting in the hot tub. She said, what are you doing? She said, we're going skiing today. You're the leader of this thing. We got to go skiing. I said, I'm not going today. I'm taking the day off. She said, you can't take the day off. You're the leader. You know, you got to face it to fix it. You know, all those quotes. I hate it when they quote what I say. And, uh, <laughs> I said, I'm sore. And I'm going to sit in a hot tub. She said, how can you be sore? You jog two miles a day. I said, when I jog, I very rarely run into trees or fall down. <laughs> But I did that yesterday. I ran into trees. I fell down. I'm sore. And then she gives me that disgusted look. You know, there's a school that women go to, and uh, they teach them disgusted looks. You know, it's like, you know, I got three daughters and a wife, so I've seen about 800 disgusted different looks. You know, so she gave me like disgusted look 301. You know, and came. Back. I, uh, buddies come by. I said, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm not doing good. I'm sitting in a hot tub, sitting in a hot tub. They said, well, you got to go skiing, man. I mean, it's already been paid for, and you're the leader. And I said, I know, but I'm not, I'm not going. I mean, I, I'm just not doing well at all. And they said, look, we know we heard we're not doing We will go with you. We will help you. I said, no, you will kill me. Uh, <laughs> No, look, I, we know you're struggling, so we'll stay on the little slopes, and we'll just work with you, just be all about you today on the easy slopes. And finally, they, okay, 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 we'll, okay, we'll do it. So I, and they, they were, they, they were helping me. We're, we're on the little green, remember they're green, and they got some easy blues, and, and, and they're, they're just gentle, and they got sweet names, you know, like Peter Rabbit Run, and Peach Blossom Hill, and you know, so we're on Peter Rabbit Run, and Peach Blossom Hill, I mean, we're just doing good, and we make a turn, and we're on a black slope, and there's nowhere to go. I mean, it's just straight down, 
and then they forget about public relations, you know. <laughs> Black slopes have names like Casket Runaway, you know, uh, <laughs> or Paul Bear's Peak, you know, stuff like that, you know, which is all Greek for you're going to soon see Jesus, buddy. Uh, <laughs> So I am looking straight down on a black slope, and I am scared to death. I mean, I am confessing sins I just thought about doing. I mean, I am, I am going to die. You know, I'm, I'm surrendering to foreign missions, you know. I will go to Pango, Pango if you just get me down, you know. Just scared, you know. All of a sudden, a buddy of mine is an expert skier. He's over to the right. He says, Charles, don't look down. Don't look, don't look down. Make it a lesson. Ski to me. Don't look down. I'm making my lust. Go over to him. He said, don't look down. He skied to the other side of the mountain. Make it a lesson. Ski over to me. Don't look down. And he, and he got me down that mountain. There are going to be some mountains in your life. You're going to need a friend. You know? You're going to need a friend. It's the greatest fear of all of us is that we're going to be alone. Have some friends in your life. We'll talk, we'll talk, we got to hurry. Man, we really got to hurry. Y'all don't listen fast at all today. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk a lot about being a friend tonight, okay? We got, got to move on. Uh, Job gets, he's had it with his friends. Here's what he says in chapter 13. Behold, my eye and my ear have understood it. I know what you know. I'm not in fear to you. I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewashed with lies, you're worthless physicians you are. Oh, that you would keep silent, and it would be your wisdom. That's King James, that sentence. Oh, that you would keep silent, and that would be your wisdom. Translated, that means this. I wished you were smart enough to shut up. You know, that's what he's telling them. You know? I've had it with you. I've had it with your platitudes. I've had it with all your conviction of your theology. I've had it. And he says, I want to argue with God himself. And God shows up. We'll go through it tonight. He shows up and he tells Job, it's not your world. It's my world. I created it. Matter of fact, he goes through all of his creation. In our day, he would say something like this. Job, you ever watch the Discovery Channel or National Geographic? That's me. I did all that. I created all that. And you want to tell me how to run the world? Not going to happen, Job. Not going to happen. And then he gives him some animals. He said, Job, you're afraid of those animals, and you're not afraid of me. And I created those animals. And then Job says this, I'm sorry. I repent. I, I didn't realize <laughs> that you created all this and yet you love me you love me you're willing to come here and meet with me and of course Job's in the Old Testament many times he would talk about a mediator I need somebody between me and God God didn't have that mediator then he just showed up in person but we now have that mediator through Jesus Christ 
And God's saying to us, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. I know the prince of this world is doing to you as much as I let him do. <laughs> He's beating you up as much as I let him. But I'm not going to let him kill you until it's time. And then he's only going to get your body. And then you and I will meet. The real you. Not that earthly tent. Not that house you live in now. But that home that one day you'll have. My, uh, my dad was a preacher. So uh, Sunday nights we had to stay forever. Forever. Keep the deacons happy. You know, we had to stay over, you know. That's why Jesus went around healing, doing miracles, and casting out deacons. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> stay over, and uh, I'd be playing around, waiting, you know, and then finally I'd just get tired, and I'd take off home. And if you ever go to those country churches out there, they, they all look the same. There's the church, there's the parsonage, and there's a huge cemetery in the middle. I mean, you, know, get it, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? A huge cemetery in the middle. So I would take off and go home, and I tell you, dead people can still scare you, can't they? You know, I would remember going through that cemetery, hearing things, and thinking, man, I'm running this way and run into tombstone and take off this way. Man, it was miserable. I was scared to death, man. So I, I can remember deciding in my mind, I'm not going to that cemetery at dark again. I'm going to wait on my dad. I'm waiting on my dad. And what a difference that made. Dad was with me. Same cemetery. <laughs> Still dark. Dad was with me. And then sometimes I just get tired. Get a long way home through that cemetery. He just picked me up. And I can remember being scared and tired and he just picked me up. And then I'd wake up, and I'd be home. Let's put it in simple terms. The world's a sad place. One day it's going to kill you. Or one day, you're going to walk through a cemetery when it's killed somebody you love. Only way to get through it is to know that your father loves you and you're not alone. And when you get too tired, he's going to pick you up. He's going to take you home. You know, thinking about my dad, I can remember when I was young with my dad. I would just basically react around two different things with my dad. It was gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, can I get this? Can I have this? Could you give me that? Thank me for that. Can I really have that? I'd really like to have this. Could you give me that? Gimme, gimme, gimme. It was what it was. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Or it was this. Why? Why did that happen? Why can't I do that? Why do you get to do that and I don't get to do that? Why, do I don't want that? why, 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 why? Gimme, gimme, gimme. Why, why, why? That's how I reacted around him. I was a kid. What can I get? 
Why can't I do that? Give me, give me, give me. Why, why, why? I can remember when he was called home just before he went to that cemetery laying there and my whole attitude changed. Now it was thank you. Thanks, Dad. Boy, thanks for doing that. I love you. Why don't just for a week instead of coming to God with gimme, gimme, gimme or why, why, why why don't you just come to him and say thank you and I love you all your life will start to change because you have a great father. And one day, we'll be in his forever family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you that you're such a good God. Thank you that you're our God because of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never trusted you as Savior, give them the faith to believe. Not in a religion, not in being good and going to church all the time and but that you came and lived a life we could never live and conquered death. That King Jesus will one day kill the prince of this world, Satan. And we'll create a new heaven and a new earth and we can be in your forever family. Give them the faith to believe. Others, some may just need to come to the altar and say, thank you, God, and I love you. Others may have needs I don't know about, but you do. I do know no one regrets coming to this altar. Thank you for Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.